Welcome to the podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Arlington Heights. Our sermon series is called Parallax, where we're going to be looking at topics from the Bible from two different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. And let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading, which comes to us from Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone whom they come, by whom they come. Missed that word. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The word of the Lord. All right, Matthew 18, 23 to 35. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all, sorry, his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord said, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are doing another sermon series and we're talking about the Bible. Shocker, right? Um, So... This week, we're going to begin a new sermon series, and if you've ever taken the time to read the Bible in detail, you've probably come to understand something that's very peculiar about the Bible, which is that if you know the Bible well enough, you can support just about anything you want to believe. Now, the Bible is comprised of 66 different books that were written over a period of 800 years. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible. And so, depending on what it is that you want to prove, you can justify just about any belief or behavior. And that's essentially what I want to demonstrate to you through this sermon series that we're going to be doing in the fall. It's called Parallax. Now, Parallax comes from the Greek term parallaxis, which means alteration. And it's really a term that's used in science, primarily by astronomers when they're looking at stars. And the idea is that... When you're looking at an object, it can look different based on the position from which you are viewing it. So, right here, we have a tree, right? Now, if you're in a field, 
and you're watching the sunset, depending on where you're standing, if you're standing here in the field, the sun will be setting to the left of the tree. But then if you move to this side of the field and you watch the sunset, it'll be setting to the right of the tree. Exact same sunset, right? But it looks very different based on your perspective. And so a parallax is when two people are looking at the exact same thing, but they're coming away with completely different ways of seeing it. And that's essentially what I want to show you about the Bible, that this is true of the Bible, that two people can read the exact same scripture, and ultimately they can come away with very different interpretations of what it means. And so for this sermon series, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. And I know whenever I say different, people are like, oh no, what's he going to do? It's going to be bad. So let me explain to you what we're going to be doing. So because this whole sermon series is about two different perspectives, I've cajoled my colleagues into preaching with me every single week. So each week, there will be two preachers that will come up, and we are going to give two different perspectives. Uh, I'll be up here every single week, and it's going to alternate between TC and Judy. Now, the topics that we're going to be looking at, they're going to range from the thought-provoking all the way up to the controversial. Like, for instance, next week, Judy and I are going to preach on whether or not women should be leaders in the church. And clearly, Judy's going to be taking the side of women should not be leaders in the church. <laughs> yes, of course. No, I'll take that on, even though I do not believe that to be true. But that's the whole idea behind the series. Today, I'm going to be preaching with Reverend T.C. Anderson. I'd like to invite him up, and we're going to begin our sermon today by talking about forgiveness and we're going to uh, begin with the scripture from Matthew, if that works for you all. Does that sound good? All right. So, given that uh, you know how I like to begin things, right? Yeah. Which is always with some context. I'm going to give context to mine because I could never get away with that. So, in this scripture, what you saw is that there's a slave and he's doing business matters for a king. Very common in the ancient world. You have to get rid of your idea of American slavery. That doesn't work in this particular instance. And so it was very common you'd have a slave run businesses for you. So it's, they're having a settling of accounts. And when the slave comes in, he finds out that he owes his master 10,000 talents. Now a talent is a particular measurement of precious metal, like silver or gold. And in ancient Israel, what you would find is that a talent of silver weighed about 100 pounds, and a talent of gold weighed about 200 pounds. Now, the parable doesn't tell us whether the talents are silver or gold, but let's assume for fun, we'll say that they're gold. How's that sound? So, a talent of gold today, 200 pounds of gold, is worth about three and a half million dollars. Or three, yeah, three and a half million. Now, how much does the slave owe? Do you remember? 10,000 talents, so he owes $35 billion to the king. Start saving your pennies on that one, right? So basically, the idea is, is that he's never going to be able to pay that debt back, right? No matter how hard he works, he's done. Now, in the context of the day, what they would assume is that the king is actually going to throw this slave into debtor's prison. And he would have to be there until he works off the debt, the implication being that he would be there until he dies. But then, the king does something rather unexpected. He ends up forgiving all of the debt. So this slave, he was actually going to face a death sentence, and now he's been freed. But then, the slave goes out and does something unexpected. 
He goes out and he finds a fellow slave who owes him 100 denarii, which is like 362 bucks in our money. And he demands to be paid, and the slave can't pay it back. And so what ends up happening is he throws him into debtor's prison until he pays it off. Now, it's important for us to understand what each of these people represent. So who does the king or the master represent? It's a, a God. Every parable, you know that, right? That's every parable he says, it's God. But who does the slave who owes 10,000 talents represent? Us. Okay. So it represents us. Now, there's something very interesting about that. Do we owe God money? No, we don't. We don't owe God money at all. But what does the money represent? It represents, you know, it could represent time. Very, yeah, it represents, in this particular instance, our sins, our mistakes, the things that we've done wrong, the ways that we've hurt ourselves and other people. God tells us that we're supposed to go down a very specific path, and when we veer from that path, then we cause pain in the world. And there needs to be a reckoning of sorts. We need to bring rights to those wrongs. And the problem is, is that we as humans, we're not very good at that, are we? We're not good at bringing rights to the wrongs of the world. And so we look to God to do that. We say, God, you need to fix this for us. So there needs to be a reckoning. And like the slave, we owe God for our mistakes. But here's the kicker in the parable, right? The kicker in the parable is that God's willing to forgive your mistakes no matter what you've done. I mean, that slave owed $35 billion. That's a lot of mistakes, right? So, the interesting thing about this parable, though, that makes it unique is that there's a specific caveat in it. And the caveat is that if you don't pass along that forgiveness that God offered to you to other people who have wronged you, then God is going to revoke the initial forgiveness that was offered to you. Now, that might sound kind of harsh, but I'm going to explain why it makes sense after I allow my esteemed colleague, Reverend T.C. Anderson, to talk about his scripture this morning, the scripture from Luke. Thank you. Uh, so, full disclosure, first sermon I've ever tried to memorize. So, I haven't been nervous to preach a sermon in like seven years, but here I am like, uh, what am I going to say? So, if I do need to go to my notes, just bear with me. It'll be fine. It, you'll still get it. <laughs> Thanks, wife. <laughs> so in Luke, uh, we don't have any uh, currency exchange. We don't have a large metaphor that means something awesome. We just have Jesus being very, very clear about where he stands on forgiveness. Essentially, Jesus says, uh, you're going to mess up. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. It's expected. However, woe to you if you cause that stumbling it would be better for you to have a millstone, which looks like this, and is a giant stone used to grain up, grind up grain, grain up grind? <laughs> grind up grain. Uh, it would be better for you to have that attached to your neck and have you thrown into the sea, which does not sound fun and is a lot of punishment talk in a verse about forgiveness. Uh, what's interesting to me about this verse is twofold. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the second one later, but the first one is this, uh, that in the same breath that Jesus says it would be better for you to get thrown in the sea with a millstone, he says, but you are to forgive conditionally. Jesus says, if a fellow uh, disciple sins against you and you rebuke them, 
and they repent, you must forgive. If they repent, you must forgive. Jesus further elaborates and says, if the same person sins against you seven times, which is outlandish, uh, except I feel like Alex sins against me seven times every day. Uh, But if the same person sins against you seven times and comes to you and says, hey, my bad, I'm so sorry, not going to happen again, you still must forgive them. And that has smatterings of when I was a child uh, and my sister would be mean to me. I'm going to give you an example. This is a true story. Uh, I was in my room, which was right next to my sister's room growing up, and I was just playing with my Ninja Turtle action figures at some point. Uh, I could have been anywhere between five and 15. (laughs) Don't judge me. Uh, And suddenly I hear my sister in her room shouting, ow, no, stop, ow. And I was like, what is happening? And so I run into her room and she's just on her bed shouting, going, ow, oh, leave me alone. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And then seconds later, my mother comes in and she goes, you get out of her room right now, young man. And I got grounded. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't do anything. I'm so confused. Turns out my sister is an evil genius. But I am no dummy. And so when she went back to the well, just two minutes later, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna hang out here with Leonardo and Raphael. You have fun. And I heard my mom go back into her room and go, what is wrong with you? She then dragged my sister into my room and said, do you have something to say? And she gave me the classic sibling apology. I'm sorry. (laughs) She didn't mean it. I know she didn't mean it. I still know she didn't mean it because to this day, she is proud of that story (laughs) and how she got me in trouble because she's an evil genius. But because she said, I'm sorry, because she said, essentially, I repent, according to Jesus and my mother, I had to forgive her. Your sister sounds like a smart lady. I'm going to take a note from her, I think. (laughs) Genius was in there. It was just prefaced by evil. So I think what's interesting about... TC scripture and my scripture is that there are some similarities between them. And I think that the similarity is that it's telling us forgiveness is central to the life of a Christian. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's central to who we are. Like if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live into his way, then you need to understand what forgiveness can do for you as a person and what it can do for other people. Because when you hurt other people, right, when you cause pain, it can actually hold you back significantly in the world. You've probably found this to be true, right? So I'll give you an example from my own life. I've said this before, but I'll say it again because it's important. When I was a kid, when I was like a teenager, I, uh, I was a compulsive liar. I lied all the time. And part of the reason why I lied is because I wanted to make my life seem more interesting than it was. Now, as you can expect, that eventually did catch up with me after a while where people who were friends with me They didn't want to be friends with me anymore, and understandably so. Not only because they couldn't trust me, but because the things that I was saying about them were untrue as well. And so I built my life around these lies, 
and I had to maintain them. And because I was having to maintain them, I could never really move forward. So it was when I had to go to them, like when I wanted to actually start over again, I had to go to them and I had to apologize and I had to say, look, I'm really sorry for the things that I said, for the ways that I mistreated you. Can you forgive me? And they did, and it allowed me to start over, allowed me to begin anew. Have you found this to be true in your life when you've made mistakes, that when you request forgiveness, when you go and you say, I'm sorry, it can make a difference, right? And what this shows us is that forgiveness has the ability to move the world forward in positive ways. Because whenever anything happens, like when your sister does that to you, or, uh, or when anything bad happens in the world, the fact is that the world's going to move on no matter what. Whether it's going to move on in positive ways is up to us. And so that's why I think that this parable that we find in Matthew's gospel, to me, it's, it's really pragmatic. It, it really is practical in the way that you do it. Because for me, when I experience God's forgiveness in my life, it changed my behaviors around. And so this idea that you have to forgive others, like basically if you're not willing to pass it on, right, that's kind of the the caveat. Well, if you understand what that forgiveness is all about and how it can change the world for the better, then I think you're going to want to pass that forgiveness along, almost as if you're compelled to do so because you can see what it's done in your life. And so you're going to want to do that because you want other people to experience what forgiveness has done for you. So that's what I would say in response to you having to forgive <laughs> your um, sister. So I know you've told us uh, stories about your lying before. It was something like you had a rocket ship at home. Is oh, that yeah. right? I was that going was, to the moon. You were going <laughs> to the moon. That's right. That's right. But uh, I, I want to take it as an example. Uh, what if uh, you weren't actually sorry? What if you weren't going to change your ways? What if you just said that to, to make your friends back? Um, what, if, your, if your repentance wasn't genuine. But even if it was, um, what if one of your friends had been hurt so deeply by one of your lies that they weren't ready to forgive you? According to Luke, uh, they would still have to forgive you in that moment. They would, they would have to forgive you as soon as repentance happens. And that's hard. Jesus is essentially asking us to forgive whether or not we know uh, if someone's repentance is real. In fact, in spite of that, uh, the number seven, seven times in a day, is outlandish on purpose. We are called to forgive no matter how many times someone hurts us. Now, my trouble I have with this is I don't know if we get to tell people when they get to forgive. And I don't mean that in the example of my sister, uh, being an evil genius, but in, in deep, painful moments. When a woman is raped and then is in court facing her rapist, and he says on the stand, I deeply regret my actions. When parents lose a child to a mugging gone wrong or a school shooting. When a child grows up in an abusive household and the scars, both physical and mental, are still very prevalent in their life. How can we tell those people that they need to forgive in that moment? How can we say that just because the person who hurt them asks for forgiveness, that we have to give it, that they have to give it to them? I don't know if I could do that. 
I don't know if I would even think to say that to them in that moment. It puts all of the emphasis on the forgiver and none on the forgiven. The second thing in the scripture that sticks out to me, I told you I would would get to it. The second thing in the scripture that sticks out to me is that Jesus says, if one of your fellow disciples sins against you, that's a very specific community. You see, forgiveness is about restoration. It's about rebuilding brokenness in a community. But what if you don't want to be in a community with the person who hurts you so deeply? What if you don't feel like you were, they were part of your community to begin with? And so forgiving them would restore nothing. Hmm. Well, you left me in a tough place on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the debate team in seventh grade. <sighs> well, can I come back to your sister for a second? Sure. Okay. So you've told us a story about your sister, mm-hmm. right? Have you actually forgiven her for what she did, given that she holds on to it and to this day? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that sounds real. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I tell it still because it's funny. Okay. Okay, so here's my issue with the Luke scripture. And it's, and it's similar to what you're talking about here. But my issue with the Luke scripture is that It's at your discretion as to whether or not you feel someone has been repentant enough to actually deserve your forgiveness. So somebody can come to you, somebody can apologize, but if you don't feel that they really meant it, you don't have to forgive them, ultimately. Mm. And so forgiveness becomes very subjective when forgiveness can mean, you know, the repentance can mean one thing to you and another thing to someone else. So what would your sister, what would true repentance to you look like for your, from your sister for that? <laughs> true repentance. Uh, I don't know, man. I was like 5 to 15. I don't yeah. remember that. That was a lifetime ago. But now, like, ago. you can go back. You can demand some repentance. What would you have her do now? She owes me a ice cream. Okay. All right. So repentance for TC, for that particular wrong, is ice cream, right? <laughs> yeah. For other people, it might be a verbal apology. For some people, it might be a penance of you have to replace the thing that was broken, Hmm. money, even going to prison. But if we as Christians, if our goal is to create God's kingdom, then forgiveness has to be our top priority. Because here's the thing. I agree with TC. I agree that a person should not have to be made to forgive someone if they are not ready. 100% agree with that. But a total unwillingness to forgive or placing an unnecessary burden on a person to prove that they are sorry enough to warrant your forgiveness, that inhibits the creation of God's kingdom. And so that's why, to me, that Matthew text really hits the nail on the head. Now, you could look at this text, you could look at that parable, and you could very easily say it's a threat, right? You don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. But I don't see it that way. I see it as that this is promoting how forgiveness is a powerful tool. In fact, it's so powerful that God uses forgiveness as the primary driver of how God is going to change the world for the better. And if you don't utilize that gift of forgiveness, or you are choosy with it, then you kind of rob it of all of its power to transform, in my opinion. And I want to end this morning, for my part, 
with a short story about how the expectation of forgiveness actually transformed an entire nation. So 25 years ago, you all may be aware that there was a genocide in Rwanda. Now, basically, in a three-month period, more than 800,000 people were killed. Now, after that occurred and people started returning to their homes, there was a question among the survivors as to whether or not they were going to be able to live side by side with the perpetrators, people who had killed members of their family. And so initially, there was a movement among the survivors to capture all of the perpetrators and bring them to justice. But what they discovered was that this was a lot easier said than done because so many people were involved in this, either directly or indirectly, that it very quickly became impractical and imprudent to do so. And so a movement began among the churches in Rwanda where the preachers started talking about forgiveness and encouraging the survivors to really live into Jesus' teachings on forgiveness. They said, forgiveness is more powerful than revenge. Now, as you might expect, do you think people were totally on board with that? No, they were not. And many people said, I don't know if I can ever forgive what happened in this particular instance. But over enough time, enough people came along that a decree went out among the survivors. And the decree went like this. If you participated in the genocide, and you come forward, and you confess to all your crimes, and you show remorse, you will be forgiven. Now, more than 100,000 people came forward and underwent trials where they confessed to their crimes and were forgiven. Now, these trials were super challenging, like what TC was talking about. The victims had to deal with the perpetrators in a courtroom. It was really, really hard. But the result of that is that Rwanda was able to move forward. They found a path forward. They were able to have some restoration, and they were able to heal. And the reason why I think that this example is so important is because it truly shows the power of forgiveness. It shows us what the world could actually look like if Jesus had his way. So in both verses, we have uh, someone who needs forgiveness and someone who has a seemingly endless supply. In Matthew, it's the master, or God, who uh, forgives an insurmountable debt for one of his debtors, or us. In Luke, it's us who Jesus is calling to forgive to the point uh, of someone sinning against you seven times in a day. And I think in both, the hope is that in that forgiveness, the person being forgiven will change, even the person sinning against you seven times a day. You see, anger and hate and spitefulness can spread so, so very fast. Just look at the internet and you can see that. But I believe that love and hope and forgiveness can spread quickly too. The world is changing. Our world is smaller than ever before. It's more connected. The internet and smartphones in our pockets have made that true. We're not just secluded to our town or our church or our city, state, or country anymore. We have seen how people from across the globe can affect one another's lives, and so we're really a global community. 
And if we are called to forgive those in our community, those words mean more now than they did when they were first written. There's more. I'm going to remember it. I'm not going to look. If we are to bring God's kingdom here on earth, thank you, thank you, yes. If we are to bring God's kingdom here on earth, and that is a kingdom that includes everyone, then everyone is in our community. Oh, man. It's the last paragraph. We are to be that beacon of hope and light in the world. If we are to be the love and forgiveness that Jesus calls us to be, then when we forgive in that way, we become the master in the first story. Forgiving insurmountable debts to debtors and hoping that they are then so moved that they also forgive debts. And in that way, God's love and forgiveness can spread through the world and totally terraform it. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.